0: Players gather to cast powerful spells,
1: some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of magic. The gathering, monastery mentor, predict, Jace
0: the Mind Sculptor, and many others, battling head to head in brutal combat. They all have one thing in common: to
2: uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bashan and Ra on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com.
0: hello everyone and welcome to episode 46 of the eternal glory podcast situational card evaluation i'm phil gallagher joined by bryant cook and brian koval how are you all doing tonight
1: hanging in there phil
2: just delightful
0: well i'm still on spring break everything's fine and dandy for me brian gets wrecked and has to go back to work tomorrow like a scrub
1: yeah, my spring break is over, and I am somehow more tired than when it began, which is the opposite of how that's supposed to work. Uh, I have been waking up these last couple mornings feeling like my brain was in mud. Like, my my body is fine, but like my brain is just like, glob glob glub glub, glub glub, and I don't know what that is. Uh, it could just be side effects of catching up on missing sleep from the months before, <laughs> but who knows? Feels weird.
0: Yeah, I didn't realize how much I needed a break until my break actually started. And then I was like, oh my god, this is what it's like to have time to do stuff? This is wild.
1: Uh, What is time? What is stuff? Yeah, the the last two days, uh, my my girlfriend was home, obviously, for the weekend, because it's the weekend. But Monday and Tuesday, I was just here alone by myself. I did so much, like... I, I mowed the lawn for the first time. I fixed this thing that was wrong with the deck. I strung curtains out on the deck. I cle- like deep cleaned the kitchen. I got a haircut. Like, uh, did all of this stuff that just should have could have should have been done if I had like forty five minutes to an hour at any point over the last several months. And bang, it all just happened in two days. And feels good. It's probably why I'm tired though, because I didn't actually rest.
0: yeah i think i spent literally four hours today working on content production related stuff i was like well i've got time this morning let's make 10 thumbnails for the next two weeks
2: beautiful you'll love to hear it
0: all right bryant what are you up to
2: well uh i was vaccinated since our last episode and immediately after getting vaccinated i said to my wife we should plan our honeymoon And she's like, what? The CDC said we can't travel. And she made a really big deal out of it. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let this go because by the time that our trip would have happened, I would have gotten my second shot and everything would have been fine. Fast forward to a few days ago. She said, CDC approved travel. Do you still want to go? And I was like, you know, I mentioned this at the time, but uh, two months from now is not going to be the same as, you know how it was the day that I got vaccinated. So we are now going to a volcanic Island. I'm going to be tapping for so much blue mana, a little bit of red mana, and hopefully it's a lot of fun. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, And my understanding is uh, you got in on the ground floor the day they released travel restrictions. So your trip to a volcanic island costs less than two volcanic islands, right?
2: <laughs> that is actually true. <laughs> that is very true. Round trip uh, for 1200 is pretty good.
1: Now, not
0: bad. Now we're going to get the, like, screw the reserve list comments on Reddit for sure for that one.
1: <laughs> hey, hey, let those fly. Like, for real. Anyone who wants to try to burn down the reserve list, you have my absolute blessing and support, whatever that is. So, not that I have any power, but, you know. As someone with a thick collection, I I would be fine losing some money to get people playing Legacy.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure.
2: Agreed.
0: So, I've I've been excited to be doing some degree of socializing. Uh, Almost my entire friend group locally is vaccinated now. So, like, I went over to someone's house for, like, the first time in a year. That was cool. I did it again today. Um...
2: It's i imagine it's weird. weird it's like stay out of my bubble you stay five feet over there like it's just weird having people that close
0: yeah like i i sat on the couch with someone today like weird yeah right
1: <laughs> uh my girlfriend and i we are both vaccinated and out of the two-week window at this point and we were celebrating another big life thing that i can talk about in a minute but uh we went out to dinner on friday night something that has not occurred in 14 months and it, it was like a little weird but mostly fine and uh it it went well <laughs> it was weird having a human being other than my girlfriend or me approach my food or approach me with food or any of those things but i mean it went fine we all lived so society let's go what's not... this
2: big news i'm anxious
1: uh so I mentioned it last week that I was at the uh the, the precipice of something I'd been working on for a very long time and I am leading a union drive at my place of employment. Uh so I've been hustling that for about 8 months now, just working in the shadows, talking to people one by one, gauging their interest, what they'd be willing to do, what they'd be willing to sign, what they'd be willing to you know, put their attach their name to, what risks they'd be willing to take, and this past Thursday, so the day I left for spring break, the last thing I did as I left the the building was summon all of the administrators in the building to the lobby. I read to them a petition for recognition for the union, and it was signed by about 100 of my co-workers out of 129 people we think are eligible to vote, so a... A slam-dunk majority uh, of people, and I was basically like, we're doing this. I encourage you to recognize this voluntarily. We don't have to have an ugly fight about it, but the election's been filed. The, the All of the paperwork's done with the Labor Board. You'll hear from our lawyer in the le- next 48 hours. Here's the petition. Have a good break. So, Mic drop. Uh, yeah, basically. And then uh, I went home for five days and tomorrow (laughs) morning I'm going to walk in and see what that looks like on the other side.
2: Pittsburgh man arrested at 11.
1: (laughs) Well, it turns out they can't arrest me for that because it is protected activity. Concerted effort, just like the magic card, is a protected activity by the National Labor Relations Board.
0: Well, best best of luck with all of that. I- I hope things go smoothly, because sometimes they don't.
1: (laughs) Right, so I've played over all of the scenarios in my head a number of times, and like, being a gamer, you know, I have like plan A, plan B, plan C, what's my sideboard plan, you know, for all of this? And brief side tangent, let me tell you, planning something like this with a committee of non-gamers showed me a lot about how normal people think, and I don't like it. (laughs) Just like... The people who can't like see two steps ahead or can't operate on the fly or it's like changing information. And it's like, all right, people, like I was not originally the leader of this. Uh, My girlfriend actually made the initial call before she switched jobs. And like I was just in the house anyway for the planning meeting. So I figured I'd sit there. Then she left. And then slowly, like as skill sets emerged and like leadership, like we don't have a leader, but like as people were needed to do stuff more and more. The group was just like, uh, we think Brian should do that. So I have just <laughs> emerged as like the face and voice of this thing. And, uh, it is, it's rolling now. And I, I'm honestly like pretty excited, like in my brain, I've been like, Ooh, what if they fire me? And I'd be like, well, then they have a lawsuit. They have a martyr. And I get to just go get a better paying job immediately because I could, Like, I'm doing this because I care, not because I'm trying to fuck this place over. Like, I could just quit and get a better job, but I'd rather, you know, save this place. Um, Like, and then it's like, what if they want to get scrappy over the election? Like, what if they want to run a dirty campaign? It's like, I'll get the parents involved of the kids. They have the ultimate power. I'll get the press involved. Like, this is fun. Like, I'm I'm like, like, are we going to play, like, three turns of this game or nine turns of this game? Like, I, I play miracles. Like, you're not going to beat me in the endgame. <laughs> like, let's fucking go. So, uh, I don't know. It's just, like, fun to be able to talk about it in real life. Because any, saying it, anything to anyone outside of, like, a, a strict veil of secrecy over the last eight months could have blown it up. But now it's moving. It's public. It's protected by law. So, we're doing it.
2: I like the idea that Brian's, like, in his house typing up paperwork. And he's like, all right, I'm escaping Earl right now.
1: And basically... <laughs> Like, I'm currently uh writing the uh a generic statement that parents can sign. So, we're like, if we need to, we're going to start calling parents of our students and, like, hey, this is what we're up to. We're very excited about it. We'd love your support. I have this piece of paper you can sign. And it comes with, like, a statement, a generic statement of, like, I parent of blank support the workers, da-da-da. And I'm writing that up. And I'm like, this is the euro in my graveyard. I might not have to escape it i I still have shark typhoon, like I'm still beaten down like we'll see where it goes. I don't know, but it it is like kind of exciting to actually take action against greedy corporations
2: so Phil, I feel like I might have cut you off uh before asking Brian what the big news was. What were you going to say
0: oh i've I've just been hanging out with one of my coworkers and playing Smash Bros over spring break, and it's so nice feels like. I'm kind of in college again, like I just go over to somebody's place, we hang out, we play three hours worth of Smash Bros, grab some food, and just make an afternoon of it. And after not getting out for a year, that's just really nice and was like exactly what I needed.
1: What version of Smash are you playing?
0: Um, We're playing Ultimate because that's where we have the most common ground. Because I, I played Melee and Brawl competitively, and he played smash 4 and a little bit of ultimate competitively so this is this is where we can both play and be more or less evenly matched
1: that's fair i i still have my n64 set up and for super smash brothers and one of my my fondest early gaming memory was just airing out a bunch of little kids at fao schwartz in new york city they had like a pokemon floor it was probably like 1998 and they had uh, on the Pokemon floor, like a big screen attached to an N64, and, like, you could play Smash. And I just fucking mopped the floor with every little kid who was in that <laughs> toy store that day.
2: <laughs> so, to bring it back to Magic for a second... Uh, in, in, yeah, I know. What am I doing? In your local areas, are people doing, like, regular events again, like, weeklies? Because that started to happen here. And i like, I'm not going anywhere until I receive my second vaccination. But uh, people are, you know, they're going to, like... 40 50 person like modern weekly stuff like that is that happening in your area
0: not yet there's rumors of things maybe starting up Uh, and i know some places are planning big events um the legacy pit for example is planning a 10k event for the fall that they're relatively confident they can pull off
1: the fall seems kind of reasonable from here um our local stores, they are starting to do stuff, and some of them never stopped. Like, uh, again, a lot of this is uh, dependent on the situation and personal beliefs of the owners. Uh, like, if the owners just have money or have other revenue streams, um, like my sponsor, Clubhouse Cards, they deal mostly in sports cards and sports memorabilia, and then also just run dope magic tournaments so that didn't slow down that went off during pandemic like people are just sitting at their house with lots of money there's no like social component to sports cards anyway you can just open them you just spend money and then you own them so like that's been insane so they've been totally fine not running magic uh some of the other stores some just never fucking stopped like straight up covid deniers and like complete maniacs in some of the the little stores and then uh, one another store one that i actually like uh they're running a legacy i think it's a 2k uh, there's like a tropical island for first next weekend and even though i'm vaccinated i don't feel super good about that so i'm not going to go it's just like a, a lot of people are starting to put their foot on the gas in a way that i don't know if it is is good yet but i mean they're doing it so it is happening and, and there's been like speakeasy tournaments the whole time like a lot of the local stores. Uh, there's a a big Pittsburgh store, like the Pittsburgh store that I don't really go to anymore. But they've been running hush hush drafts and F and M's every Friday night for months. Like for most of the most of the whole time, it's just like, oh, the store is closed. I can see twenty five people in there. What are you doing? <laughs> it's like they have three draft pods running on Friday, but it's all quiet. The store is closed. But you know,
0: yeah, I'm I'm at the comfort level where like. I will hang out with one, maybe two people. That's where I'm at. I'm not quite to like, I'm going to eat in public or I'm going to do a large gathering event. Like, I don't, I'm not quite ready to promote large gatherings yet, personally. Like, I don't, it just doesn't, I'm not comfortable with it yet.
2: Fair, fair. So uh, why don't we thank our donators from the last uh, episode. Paul, uh, I'm going to butcher this van denbrook colin campbell and eric taylor thank you very much for your contributions to this podcast and keeping force of phil fed especially that dope rap that phil dropped at the end of the last episode thank you yeah i
0: didn't even know that was coming until the episode went live and then someone told me about it and i was like wait what and i listened to it and then i retweeted the episode again i'm like you gotta hear
1: this yeah phil phil told me about it This Phil, not Force of Phil. Phil Gallagher mentioned it. Like, I found out because Phil found out. And yeah, there's an entire, like, three-minute rap song about Lazav the Multivarius at the end of our last episode. If you
2: didn't catch it, like, it's there. Yeah, make sure you follow Force of Phil, by the way. Support Phil Blackman.
0: Lazav is coming for that number one spot! So, on my channel, I I recently did a a really fun project. Someone asked me to port their modern deck into Legacy. And they handed me a modern rock deck, and they were like, hey, turn this into legacy. And I ended up playing this 4X Hex Drinker black-green rock deck that was a whole lot of fun. Um, That was probably a highlight of my last week or so of content. Um, Notably on the content production end, a lot of the Bruise and Janky decks that I've been playing are pretty damn good at dealing 20 damage. But when you start asking them to do, like, 30 damage because of Uro. All of a sudden, it's record screech like, and they they can't do it.
2: That was record screech. That was like a dog getting kicked. Phil, I, like I don't know what that was supposed to be, but
1: <laughs> yeah, you hit your dog with the record. <laughs> That's what it feels yeah. like. Rest in peace, Tom Hep. By the way, dealing twenty was his whole <laughs> bread and butter. Uh, I I don't know if he's he's probably just taking the season off. Like he's he better is. than just losing to Uro, but uh, yeah, going from the infinite trophy leader to not present 23 life is a lot more than 20
2: yeah tom's definitely vacationing right now not quite on a teferi vacation just enjoying a little bit of a hiatus
1: teferi throws a mean vacation you never come back all right so, Brian. Uh, how about bryant
2: i was next on the list i don't know but uh i finally broke my cold streak i keep a spreadsheet because i'm a giant nerd of all my finishes and i don't share it with anyone it's just for me And I uploaded my ninth place vintage super qualifier to it because, like, it's the first ounce of success I've had in a little bit. And I went and looked at the last finish because it feels like it's been forever. It was the first weekend of January. I'm like, oh, oh my. It's been three months, almost four. Uh, And, like, it just feels, like, I, I don't know the last time I was that cold, like, It just felt nice to have some success i was like wow i didn't burn play points on this event what's that like because i've been so dry on play points that i've been selling cards that i have in my account so i was like wow i actually like made money off this event that's so strange so i was pretty happy about that if you want to watch it it's on the youtube channel uh uploaded today which is tuesday so by the time this goes live it will be a few days old
1: so is there something that fosters imposter syndrome harder than a couple magic finishes (laughs) <laughs> like, 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 seriously, Uh, I know this is something that a lot of like medium grinders or like low level pros deal with where it's like, like, I know, like, I've spent like the last five years, I I think 2017, 2016, 20, uh, 2017, I think I won my Invitational. And like my first, like, classic win was in 2016. And like, I've spent the last five years just like, hey, I won a classic, maybe I am good at magic. Wait, no, anyone can do it once. And then, like, I win the Invitational. It's like, maybe I am good at this. No, anyone can do it once. And then it's like, like, the the pressure to, like, stay relevant and keep up with finishes. Because, like, Magic is such a high-variance game that, like, it's true that it... Short of, like, someone who l- learned the game yesterday. Like, if you, like, have a pulse and know how to tap mana and, like, sequence cards, you can win any given tournament. And, like, like that's why Magic rules. It's not chess. It's something different. But, like, how many... Th- finishes over what period of time do you need before you're like okay yeah yeah i deserved these these finishes and i that might have gotten a lot deeper than anyone meant for it but uh brian keeping a, a list of all his finishes and then like wow that ninth felt so good like i feel that in my soul oh yeah well, like
2: Go ahead. 2020 was the best year I've ever had in Magic, according to my spreadsheet, and I was looking at it, and like I ran so hot in the summer, and I was just like, I don't know if like something... Because I feel like every once in a while, maybe this is going to sound like crazy person talk, a format or a time period clicks, and I just feel like I can't lose, and then something oh, yeah. will happen. Like, the banning of Oko happened, and it made my deck a lot worse, and I've just been like completely lost like my deck didn't get hit by the ban, but the metagame shifted around me and i haven't been able to find a good plan to fight back yet so i've just been a nice
1: yep uh yeah and when you have a deck like like you do obviously like a lifetime like your brand is a deck uh, but i go through periods where just like my my fingers like merge into the cards and i become one with a deck like modern kci uh when urza was legal or urza still legal but when all of urza's support was legal and modern um that uh era of blue white miracles right before they banned death right shaman like there were periods in magic where i was like i cannot lose like i i would give myself in in honest like 75 to top eight this star city classic which is obviously like an insane stat to give anyone but like i just felt like i couldn't lose and i felt like it was pretty reasonable Like KCI, I packed the finals of four PPTQs that season because I knew I would win one when I felt like it. And I just like wanted to keep playing. So I chopped the four different finals. Like I get the prizes. You get the invite. I did that four times. Then I won the last one of the season because it was time because there were no more. Like sometimes you just get in those rhythms. yeah. and, uh, And But then sometimes they ban KCI and you're just like, what the fuck? What do I do?
2: perfect comparison and my last note before uh you go brian is i've decided because i've been on this cold streak to like go really deep into another format and someone donated a few weeks ago for me to play twiddle storm and i felt so lost playing this deck because i felt like it was i've played pioneer lotus like i know how to twiddle lands and it's an engine deck like a solidarity or like any of those style decks like i should be able to play this i played it really poorly and it was, like, sort of embarrassing on top of the fact that, like, the deck takes forever to win. So I've gotten really good at it over the last few weeks to the point where, like, I'm no longer timing out. But I win every match with, like, two or three minutes on the clock. And I feel like I am in an Anurag Das stream, just letting the clock run down. Like, my opponents have 22 minutes on their clock, and I win with, like, three minutes, and they just type dot, dot, dot in the chat. feels so good. But the entire time I'm not tanking or anything, I am constantly twiddling my lands and drawing my entire deck over and over and over and over it's just a lot of fun
1: oh i disagree that that's fun i i might be the most clock anxious person who plays magic online in the history of magic online like if my clock breaks like under 15 minutes i'm like oh god i gotta hurry up (laughs)
2: like it's it's bad i don't know how you play uh vintage online then because mentor kills take forever at least with po
1: well, that's different. At least there's, like, a straight line. Like, if I'm- if I'm one, like, if I'm going off with Bomberman or Mentor or something, and I have won, I just need to click fast enough, I can do that. It's just, like, uh, I'm- I'm gonna talk about this in a second, but I did- I recorded a lead with Grixis Control. It was a donation deck, and it's just, like, I'm ahead. They have one card in hand to my five. I'm attacking them for one a turn with my Strix. I have Kolagon's re- command ready to pick up that Snapcaster and go off, like, if they find anything- but my clock's at 11, and theirs is at 19. I'm losing this match. And, and like, it, that's frequently true. <laughs> and, like, I just can't live like that.
0: Especially if you're recording commentary. Oh, yeah. Like, it's amazing how much more time you eat up when you're actually trying to talk through and explain things.
1: Yeah, and that's always true, but especially in a deck like Grix's Control, where, like, Kolagons Command can do, like whatever permutation of like two choices exist and you want to talk about why each one is the right one and like i could kill snapcaster mage but i don't really care about the two so i want to use discard mode on that i'm definitely buying back my snapcaster with the other mode like you know like all that shit it's like oh my god i just spent 15 seconds not casting this
2: spell I wasn't planning on asking you guys this, but I'm going to a feedback that I got on the total storm video was like, you should really use hotkeys because they allow you to win a lot faster. And I've been trying to use the yes, hotkey recently, and it feels so unnatural to me. Like I use two for pass until priority or like until your opponent does something. And then I use F6. Those are like pretty much what I only use. But like I've been trying to use the yes and no, and it just feels so weird to me that I can't get into it. Like I'm like, oh, it's unnatural. I have
1: 1, 2, and 6 bound to my mouse. Uh, like, I have a gaming mouse with all sorts of extra buttons and I have 1, 2, and 6 bound to it so I only I can play most games of Magic Online pretty smoothly with one hand. Uh, in special cases like when I was playing uh, Urza with uh, Thopter Foundry um, Daryl Ayers actually posted a a quick like how-to video. It was like a 30-second video about what hotkeys to hold, like uh there's a like always man there's like a always use mana hotkey and an always yes hotkey and you can cut like a making a Thopter with Urza from like eight or nine clicks to three clicks. And I was like, wow, that's actually huge. <laughs> and so there are tricks that can get you a long way, and if you're doing something like twiddling, you probably should know what they are.
0: Yeah, I, I also have one, two, six bound to my mouse, and that's good enough for me. of the time and then every once in a while it's like hey phil do you want to play food chain god damn it
1: give me the money yeah it's like no but i will
0: all right are we ready to uh to dive into the real stuff
1: hey i haven't told you the most important thing that's happened in magic the gathering since we last met and uh i trophied with marfolk
0: fuck the fish people oh geez sorry what was that
1: (laughs) Well, Phil just (laughs) went berserk a little bit there. But uh, yeah, I got Merfolk as a donation deck and there's no paradigm shift. There's no nothing special. It's just like blue creatures turning sideways and fucking 5-0'd. And this is like the whole time. uh, Like there was one game where my opponent was just like frantically spinning their wheels with Uro. And I had two true name nemeses and a Lord of Atlantis. And I just won the race. I had nothing. The tank was empty. It's like if they find you know, Terminus or Dead of Winter or even like Council's Judgment, I lose the race. But they just didn't in like seven or eight draws. <laughs> and I was just like, here we go. Turn my thing sideways. Chugga chugga.
0: All right. So um, for anyone not familiar with this, I am notorious for hating merfolk. Like I detest that archetype because I feel like you have so little agency in what happens during a game in comparison to other Vile decks. Like, Death and Taxes, there's this, like, weird elaborate dance where you get a billion decisions and, like, so many chances to fuck up and win or lose the game. And, like, I feel like Merfolk doesn't usually get that. And I also feel like it's a worse aggro deck than, like, say, Slivers that's trying to do a similar thing. It just gains the upside that, like, you happen to crap on blue a little harder.
2: Well, I mean, you also get Forcible. There was a time period between, like, 2008 and 11 where Merfolk was tier one. It was arguably the best deck at the time. And then Stoneforge Mystic happened.
1: Yeah, uh, also uh, Snapcaster happened. Like, Plow, Snap, Plow. Like, Plow the two lords, Block the Silvergill Adept became a line that Control Decks could have. And it just wiped Merfolk off the face of the earth. and And, like, that was... Like I I got into Legacy in that oh eight, oh nine era. Merfolk was my first legacy deck. Uh there was it like the tech at the time. Like I remember um I think it was uh Jesse Hatfield like splashing green for Tarmogoyf to have like a bigger creature in the Merfolk deck. And uh Tomorrow Saitu top aided a Grand Prix with Yeah, with black Merfolk. He had Deathmark and Parish to beat the Tarmagoifs and like it was just like technology, like uh also, uh, Alex Burton cheaty he like uh had that was a lot of his top eights as well. It's hard to count them during that era because he was clearly cheating the whole time. But Merfolk was his go to legacy deck when he was farming Star Cities every week for those years.
2: So I faced Merfolk last week at some point, and my opponent played a creature that I didn't realize was a Merfolk. Hull breacher. Like you see Hullbreacher <laughs> yeah. all the time and like You'd think with like a card like Whole Breacher being printed, Merfolk would have gotten some, you know, like more majority of the metagame. And it just hasn't happened. I was like, huh, I didn't realize that was a Merfolk. Like it was just I mean, really it, strange. It doesn't
1: to me. do anything that Merfolk wants in general. Like the three drop is true name Nemesis and you're generally just trying to pack rat everyone where you just play like seven copies of the same card that all buff each other and make them dead. And like the my the list i played didn't have Hallbreacher in it and i don't think i could have wanted it
2: yeah i just thought i had chalice
1: of the void in that slot i don't know if that's stock i know it's stock in modern merfolk but i imagine like that's like the techie disruptive slot that Hallbreacher would have to be in i don't even know i'm not going to pretend i'm up on merfolk theory
2: there used to be like coral hum commander and stuff like you could probably play it in that slot if you wanted to but maybe that's been gone for years i don't know
1: yeah, I, I haven't seen that card in a long time, not since Master of the Pearl Trident was printed. Uh, like The only three drops in the version I played were True Memesis. and then there were four Phantasmal image as well for like maximum pack ratting. So you, you just try to go off with Lords. And the other magic thing that I wanted to talk about was I noticed this cool rock, paper, scissors happening in the blue control space in Legacy. It was during the Grixis Control League where in the... In the deck tech, I was like, Uro is a problem for these colors. I even added a second Cling to Dust to the main and was pretty aggressive in my sideboard for dealing with Uro. And I still ended up losing to every Uro deck I played against and beating every other deck I played against. And one of the other decks I played against, I beat uh, Blue-White Shark Still in a game where they resolved Replenish twice. Like, I just outground that. Yeah, right? And, like, uh, I was able to identify this like uh the green of uro and sylvan library beats up on the black of grixis and then the red of grixis beats up on the blue of blue white x and then the sideboard cards and swords to plow shares of blue white x beat up on the green of uro and there's just this cool like rock paper scissors that in deep in the blue metagame (laughs) if of fringe playable decks i mean bug is tier one obviously but between uh, Still and Grixis. Uh, I don't think either of them are Tier 1, but they are. Dex people will play, and it, it was just a cool thing that emerged there.
2: It's almost like Arkham's but leaving the format made people have to choose uh, cards to play in decisions. It's crazy.
1: Yep, I don't get Kolaghan's Command and Uro anymore. This sucks.
0: All right. So before we dive into our main topic of the night, which is situational card evaluation, I, I promised some people that we'd talk ninjas for a few minutes. So Boo. Brian, I don't I oh, yeah, I don't know if you've heard this, but I've gotten some feedback that was along the lines of, "Phil, I just watched you play ninjas, and I watched Brian play ninjas yesterday. And it was like you were playing two entirely different decks. <laughs> and so I wanted to talk a little bit of theory for uh, a couple of minutes because we both put up really good results. Just and my viewers were like, it was jarring to watch like you you two are just in totally different
1: mindsets. Uh, yeah, so I am 23 and one in camera matches with ninjas on my channel like I, that deck and I jive really well together. And this is over multiple eras. Like, I had Oko in my first ninja build that I got my first trophy with. So it's been over a series of the last year or so. But I have uh, two trophies in the current ban rotation. So uh, I am into this deck. And the only feedback I got regarding you playing the deck was somebody commented on my channel. And they said, some, quote, Thraben space Y-O-U guy (laughs) is playing your deck. (laughs) And I was just like, yeah, that guy rules.
0: (laughs) yeah I, I believe i'm eight and two with ninjas currently in recent times anyway all right so first question here what do you think of island ponder as a keep if you are not deploying another like ninja based card of some kind on turn one and you just like have to spend that first turn pondering no matter what
1: do you have a second land or is it
2: just literally no no island
0: one, one one land ponder like island ponder and, and then you don't you have a two drop like, let's like, let's say you don't have a one-drop that you can play. You don't have a, a changeling. You don't have a retrofitter foundry. Like, you don't have you, the ability. You have
1: Yuriko, but not a second land and not an enabler. Yeah. So I'm probably shipping that on seven. Because um, that ponder has to find Ornithopter Swamp to do what you need it to do. Like, exactly Ornithopter Swamp. And, uh, like, you basically need to format all your decisions in the early turns to how do I connect with a ninja on turn two? Like all your mulligan decisions, your cantrip sequencing. Like in my videos, I've caught myself a couple times, like, like the, the miracles muscle memory of like, I keep Island Ponder, but I don't ponder right away because if I see another card, I can ponder one card deeper on turn two. And if my draw step is just the land I was looking for anyway, then I can save my ponder for another time when I need it more. So there's a lot of like, late uh late control deck uh muscle memory there that i've like passed priority gone into combat gone into second main then i'm like oh shit ornithopter's in my deck and then i ponder and i find the ornithopter then i'm able to do what i need to do so like you have to change all of your decisions to um how do i connect with a ninja on turn two
0: yeah i was having similar thoughts where i was looking at these like reasonable hands and then i really think about it and I go, this doesn't create a 4-4, or this doesn't get a ninja on turn 2. Like, this is a mulligan. And it's so weird because, like, if you just looked at the hand, you'd see the hand is reasonable, but it doesn't quite fit the deck's plan.
1: Yeah, like, the thinking to yourself, like, not only like, if Yuriko was just a 2-drop, like, if it was like, just Dreadhorde Arcanist or Dark Confidant or something like that, uh, that would be make more sense. But knowing that you have to have the two mana and an unblocked attacker. So like, if you don't have a, an attacking creature available, ready to swing on turn two, Yuriko is now a turn three play at best. So like you basically have to play the whole game, like half a, like one turn behind where you think you should be with your two drop. Uh, So it's kind of just like different calculations you have to make with that
0: so what do you think about the retrofitter foundry based opening hands we just start with like changelings and ornithopters and the retrofitter foundry because i was pretty keen on keeping those hands and chat was like phil why you don't make a ninja and i was like haha attack for four attack for eight dead
1: so if my hand is like retrofitter foundry double ornithopter changeling outcast like maybe we're in business there um days would make me feel a lot better about keeping a hand like that because that's the sort of hand that like if your opponent is savvy enough to force a will retrofitter foundry oops but then at the same time so if you have like two changeling outcasts and an ornithopter then the upside of just ripping any ninja off the top becomes draw three Uh versus like triple ornithopter you do nothing if your foundry gets re- answered like uh, i i guess like is there a cantrip in this hand does the hand make blue black so my top deck is live Um just there's a lot of other things going on there but I would probably mulligan a seven. That's just like three chain or three thopters and a foundry with no ninja in sight. But I would start entertaining it at six or five. Okay.
0: So I, I see you wrote in another note here. Do you want to lead on the next one?
1: Uh. So. Uh, Bryant mentioned in a previous episode that the deck needs a lot of work because it has three dazes and three basic swamps in it. And that just looks like bad deck building on the surface. And at the time I was like, yeah, there's probably a lot of work that can be done there. But going back to the your. Prime directive is put a ninja into play and connect with it on turn two. Like you're not dazing on turn one because that sets back your ninja plan a whole turn. Like unless you're literally dead to like show and tell Uh, you even get to ignore something like Trinisphere. Because like ninjas are an activated ability. So the number of spells that exist that you'd want to daze on turn one are pretty low. And if you get Wastelanded because you had Underground Sea instead of Basic Swamp to cast your your Changeling Outcast, your ninjas are now a turn behind. So the deck is like pretty cleverly designed to maximize that turn two ninja, even at the cost of turn one daze. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I For what it's was worth, not... I
2: don't, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure ninjas plays two swamps, not three. Um, uh,
1: the list I played most recently had three, okay. but like I don't know if there's a stock list or if people are just playing with stuff. I literally just play what people send me as donation decks, and uh, I'm not in the ninja Discord or anything. Uh, but I, I just play the decks. But I think the the last two times, the two most recent trophies were three swamps.
2: It's also weird because like days is a card in ninjas and I pay pretty close attention to this. Some lists have days and some just don't. And it's really aggravating to play against because like you never really know if they have it. Like if it was stock, you'd at least know to play around it. But then you don't see it for the first two games. You don't play around a game three and you get blown out and you're like, I I guess I I was still supposed to play around this days that I didn't know if they had or not. So I think days gets a little extra mileage in that matchup because it's not stock. Also, I tell people to, like, ninjas is a blue duck. That's what people think. And all the time, I'm like, I don't know if I'd board and carpet of flowers there. And they're like, but it's a blue duck. There's so many basic swamps. Technically, yes. There's, like, two at the bare minimum. Brian is mentioning three. I've never seen a list with three, but I believe it. Like, do you really want to be boarding in carpet? I guess this is the topic for today on accident. But... Uh, do you really want to be boarding in carpet against the deck with three basic swamps that only probably has five lands that trigger carpet to begin with?
1: So the the list I played most recently, I didn't have this in any other list, but uh, my most recent video had one uh, Seagate Restoration in it, just as an island that you condone for seven off Heriko sometimes. Like it's it just, they just took a landslot and turned it into Seagate Restoration. And I had a game in that league where i played on uh seagate as in land mode swamp swamp in the face of carpet of flowers for like three or four turns and i just didn't play an island from my hand until it was representing force of negation or whatever so it was i i def- definitely was able to dance around carpet with my basic swamps uh, and got a little bonus out of that seagate thing uh but but yeah um that is the topic for tonight. We're talking about situational card advantage or card evaluation and sideboarding is a big part of that. And uh, like, what is the cost for me to play around this carpet? Like if I just don't play an island for three turns, am I too far behind? Just my hand coming up with cantrips. Uh, how, how much am I actually denying them? Like if I never play an island, I just got like a free Raven's Crime at the beginning of the game. And like, at what cost, if I need islands. Uh, so, were they counting on that mana? So, there's a lot of calculation that goes into that. Uh, but I don't know if I would bring in carpet against ninjas from Storm.
2: I'm in that boat as well. I don't know that it's
0: worth a card specifically because, like, you're playing against both counter spells and, um, occasionally discard as well. So, I don't know. that. It- if it's also not going to just like do the thing and really push you ahead from an axis i don't know that that's worth it
1: yeah ninjas isn't really playing tons of soft permission either like like phil said it's discard spells and the deck is doing a dreadhorde arcanist impression like that's been my joke the last couple times i play the deck it's like dreadhorde arcanist is still in the format it's just blue black now and you get to play like the million forces because you're gonna recoup that card advantage.
2: I'm actually surprised it hasn't picked up more. Like we talked about it the week that Dreadhorde was banned, but like Ninjas seems like a deck that should be primed to replace that slot. But I think people are so used to playing Delver that they just don't make the switch.
1: Yeah, and I, a lot of people have asked me lately, like, do you think Ninjas is better than Delver now? And I still think the answer is no. But again, I. I I'm busy playing like five different decks a week. I, I don't play off camera and there's no big events to test for. So I haven't really dug into all of the pros and cons of Rug Delver versus Blue Black Ninjas, but I think they're both very good and both reasonable choices for a tournament. But you do have to understand that Ninjas is not a Delver deck. It's not trying to be a Delver deck and it's just something totally different.
0: All right, um, let's hop into the the main topic which is situational card evaluation that is like how do you think about what a card does specifically in the context of the deck you're playing and the matchup you're in because it's very easy to make a statement like brainstorm is good and everyone's going to go like yeah brainstorm's good but then sometimes you have to ask is brainstorm good in my deck and sometimes the answer to a question like that is no so um the the idea from this topic actually came from a match that i played while i was streaming i was playing this black green rock deck and i was playing against the primeval titan deck you know whatever you want to call it the big you know green ramp field of the dead deck and someone wanted me to board in leyline of the void and i was like no i'm not gonna do that that's ridiculous and they thought i was absolutely crazy because it was gonna shut off life from the loam and ramunap excavator and elvish reclaimer and it was gonna do so much and then I explained, well, I don't lose to those cards. I lose to a Field of the Dead that hits play. I lose to the 6-6 body of Primeval Titan. I lose to a, you know, Valakut-based combo. And that boarding in Leyline of the Void doesn't actually solve my problems. I would still need to use a removal spell on Elvish Reclaimer, for example, because it tutoring up Field of the Dead was a problem. I would still need to use a removal spell on Ramunap Excavator, because its 2-3 body would be bigger than my things like Dark Confidant. So when my opponent, or sorry, when the person in Twitch chat was playing their deck, Leyline of the Void might have been awesome at stopping the problems that they specifically had, but it didn't fix any of my specific problems. So what I was trying to explain to this person was that the same card can have totally different effects in different decks because those decks have different strengths and weaknesses. And just because a card is good against a deck in a vacuum doesn't necessarily mean it's good for your deck to be playing that card in the matchup.
1: Yeah, and another furthering of that point is you can't just lump graveyard hate into one unanimous concept like uh if i had like a scavenging Goose to zenith 4 would it be in my deck against uh this primeval titan deck yeah probably i mean it could come up if i had nihil spellbomb that's just like gonna cantrip when it's not good would i bring that in maybe uh, depending on how many slots are available but Leyline line of the void specifically that encourages a play pattern that you're, you want to mulligan until you find it. It's a dead draw if you don't find it later, until later. And there's significant cost to playing a card like Leyline. And it has to be an absolute hammer. Like, it has to be worth three cards if you're going to mull to four to find it. And it's just not against Primeval Titan.
2: I think that you see a lot of this stuff in Vintage at the moment. So Underworld Breach is one of the better Vintage decks, at least currently. And the amount of graveyard hate you can play against that deck really varies because you have effects like Yikso jailer, which fun fact do not work against breach for the most part due to timestamps. Um, and then you have things like Tormod script, which technically can exile your opponent's graveyard, but they're a pseudo control deck, So you are effectively mulliganing when you play that Tormod script because you're, they're trying to play this game where they're trying to cast dig through time ancestral, uh, Sanctuary back through Ancestral, like, they're going to bury you in cards before that tormos Crypt ever even matters. And then you have things like, uh, Brian mentioned Nylos bomb, which is fine, because at least you can cycle it. Same thing with, um, oh, what's it called? Soul Guide Lantern. Where, like, these cards are a little bit more flexible. So if you're in the stage of the game where you're going to lose to a resolved underworld breach, you can get rid of it. uh, Your opponent's graveyard. But if you're still in the early game where the card advantage matters, you can cycle. And... Even though all of these are graveyard hate effects, bomb and Soul Guide Lantern are very different than Leyline of the Void or Tormod Script or anything like that. And it's worth noting, Surgical is like an entirely different game. Like I think Surgical is actually terrible against those style of decks. Like I would never board it in because one card doesn't matter when your opponent has 30 in their graveyard. And it, to tie it back to the main point here, not all graveyard hate is the same, and you have to evaluate it on a per matchup basis.
0: Yeah, I have some heuristics for boarding because I play, you know, a lot of janky decks. And a lot of times they're just like four ley lines thrown in there because uh, I play a lot of chalice decks. And a lot of times a heuristic I have is, am I going to mulligan for Leyline line of the void in this matchup? And if the answer is no, then I don't board it in.
2: So, Phil, uh, I have a question. Go ahead. Was that you admitting that chalice decks are janky?
0: no 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 no. you you see there are some good chalice decks and then there's some like questionable as fuck chalice decks so
1: uh careful bryant if we admit that chalice decks are janky then we have to admit that the epic storm is bad against jank <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, no. and, and what is worse than being jank except losing to jank <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Silence. <laughs> I
1: I just saw Brian's soul get dimmer in his eyes on the video chat. He just just like stared off into nothing. Just like, "Damn. Got me." Yeah. All right. I've built my life around this.
0: So, why don't we move on to some more examples here? Um maybe maybe let's start with Veil of Summer because like that's a card that is in so many different decks and it plays out differently in every deck.
1: Yeah. So, I've on record uh, in our ban discussions from uh, when we were talking about what could get banned uh, the year before that, uh, when it comes to blue control decks, Veil of Summer is comparable to Red Elemental Blast, which is a card that we're we're all very comfortable with existing. And I mean, when you get the one mana cryptic command, it feels insane and unfair, but when they resolve their Narset and you have Veil instead of, red blast uh you oops so like there there's push and pull in a control deck where i think it's just like a tool you can have if you expect discard or counter wars to be like things that you have to do then you compare that to a dedicated combo deck like the epic storm famously rebuilt its entire world to be a veil of summer deck uh and i i played a league with blue green omni show recently where the whole point of that deck is Sculpt to a turn where you resolve Veil of Summer and then cast Show and Tell. Like, that's it. That's the whole plan. Because in a deck like that, the only things you care about are discard and counter spells. So you get to ignore all these other things with your Veil of Summer. And in the comments of that video, somebody said, Wow, maybe I should be playing Veil in Infect." because of all the things you said in this video. And while Infect is also kind of a combo deck, Infect cares a little bit about discard, it cares a little bit about counterspells, it cares a lot about swords to plowshares, cares a lot about lightning bolt, and Veil doesn't answer those two questions. So you have this same card being like a fine tool in control, an absolute hammer in certain combo decks, and then actively bad in a different combo deck. And the context around this card is just everything.
2: That was really well so, said, Brian.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Um, I have received a lot of donation deck lists that have Veil of Summer in the sideboard. And I think people try to jam Veil of Summer in so many decks that it doesn't necessarily belong. Just because like the, the card is so objectively powerful. Um, but sometimes it doesn't fit the plan. Uh, so let's take that Rock deck, for example um i played either two or three in the sideboard of that deck and what i was founding what i was founding what i was finding is that i never had mana for that card because like my deck was just so mana hungry you know i was having dark confidants fuel my hand i just had like more and more stuff that i wanted to deploy and i was always tapping out for Bobs and tarmogoyfs and stuff of that nature And there were multiple times where I had a Veil in my hand and I had the question like, do I want to keep committing to the board or do I want to just hold back this mana that may or may not be used? And the question was usually answered like, yeah, I just want to keep deploying stuff. Like, let's get this library in here, you know? So make sure your card has a role that makes sense and make sure you understand the role of the card in your deck.
2: I think that's sort of why when we look back on uh, the pre-Breach era, where Veil vale was at an all-time high and everyone was jamming it into every deck, up until the Oko ban, why you saw a steep decline in people playing Veil vale of Summer. I think people realized, hey, this card is good in this kind of strategy, but maybe not good in my strategy, and that was something that took people a year to figure out. More recently, post-ban, a lot of Rugdalver decks have picked up two Veil vale on the board. Um, maybe we'll see those disappear over time. Maybe we won't. I don't know if that's um really what their game plan is going for because they're playing stifle at the moment so it fills a similar role versus combo um but maybe black decks are back at the moment um because targeted discard who knows but like i guess what i'm trying to say is it's okay to take time to figure out whether or not something uh works for your deck don't be afraid to try it for a little bit and fail like failing's fine as long as you're learning
0: Oh, yeah. I don't know how many times I've gone, like, 05 recently, and, like, the lesson at the end of the video is, this deck couldn't beat Uro, we need to adjust this deck so that it has, you know, the ability to fight against that. Like, those lessons are, are worthwhile to learn.
1: Yeah, I want to add Vale retroactively to the conversation about the blue deck rock-paper-scissors. I cited Uro and Sylvan Library as reasons why Bug beats Grixis, Veil of F in Summer also. Wow. When their hymns resolve and yours get veiled, you're not winning. (laughs) Forget about Uro, You're not even getting to that part of the game. So, like, Veil of Summer also. And that's a card that Blue-White-X largely ignores. Like, you can't Veil a Plow, like we just said about Infect. So, uh, that that Blue-Rock-Paper-Scissors is... uh, Veil of Summer is a player in that as well. All right. So a lot of these things we're going to talk about are real comments that we've received on videos or real conversations we've had or like tweets and stuff. Because basically every video that any of us post, we get somebody commenting. And thank you, by the way, engagement is important. I am happy to answer all of these questions. And, but a lot of them, you could tell that the person, doesn't have a strong theoretical understanding of why a deck is built a certain way. And and that's not necessarily an insult. I mean, uh, we all started somewhere, and I'm happy to tell you why Veil of Summer isn't great in Infect. That was also a comment on the video, like I said. Uh, But I recently played Enchantress on my channel, and it was four color, included blue. And somebody commented, why don't you play Court of Cunning? And To
2: be in their defense, Brian, on- it is your brand. You're the Court of Cunning guy at this point. <laughs> I'd want to know where it is, too.
1: Yeah, so uh, aside from memeing, because it's my brand, why would I want Court of Cunning? So let's look at this on the surface. Like, Enchantress is an enchantment deck based on drawing cards. Court of Cunning is an enchantment that draws cards. Why wouldn't it be good? But you, you have to look at the shell. So it's a base green-white deck, for starters. Getting blue-blue out of that deck is asking a lot to even cast this thing. Uh, Number two, the deck is called Enchantress. You don't keep hands that can't produce an Enchantress. And when you have an Enchantress, every enchantment draws cards, in addition to whatever else it's doing. So playing an enchantment that only draws cards is unnecessary especially when you're paying three mana off of a double splash color to get there like i could play wild growth and draw two cards right now and ramp my mana and why would i spend three mana to draw a card at the end of my turn so just like the context also those decks enchantress uses its life total as a resource all magic deck all magic decks do to some amount But definitely Enchantress. Like, you got to take a couple crunches from a Tarmogoy before you lock in that Solitary Confinement. Like, that's part of the plan. And if you lose the Monarch because you don't want to chump with your Argothian Enchantress, that's bad. (laughs) That's real bad. Uh, Like, the point of the deck is you outdraw everyone, and you can't just let them be the Monarch. So, it doesn't actually do what you want it to for the deck and it exposes you to this giant risk that otherwise is not a problem.
0: Yeah, I think there are a lot of people who mean well by those questions, but I think a lot of times they're just like off the cuff, off the cuff, like, hey, I have this thought. And I think I, I think it's not just lack of knowledge. I think sometimes it's like someone firing off just something they would do like if they were in a conversation with someone um, you know, and they don't sit down to really you know dig in and think about like why is or isn't this good you get very few comments that look like i think you should play this here's why you should play this and maybe we'll dig into that a bit more later
1: yeah so i i do have this in the notes for later but i think we're on it naturally anyway so let's talk about it so re- a learning tool for you, listener, and me, and everyone else, is instead of saying why don't you play why, reframe the discussion to here's why you should play why. Like, don't just fire off random shit. Like, I'm not trying to be derogatory, like, for real. Like, all... I I do mostly believe there aren't stupid questions, like, if you really don't understand the theory or whatever... Go ahead, ask the question, and I'll be polite when I answer it. But a a smarter way to approach this is not just like, "Hey, why don't you have faithless looting in this ball lightning deck?" It's like, tell me why I should. Like if, like I recently played ball lightning tribal on the channel. Multiple comments said faithless looting, and some of them were like, "Why don't you have faithless looting?" And others were like, "You're a deck with mana problems. You have dead cards. You play on Earth." Faithless looting could be good here. Like that is a useful, well-reasoned like, oh yeah, you're right. Like this is a partially reanimator deck. Uh, The cards are pretty bad on average. Like looting could be good versus just why don't you play this card? And in the case of faithless looting in ball lightning tribal, (laughs) it turns out that that is kind of well-reasoned. But then other times you get a question that's just like, you know, uh, like, I saw this on one of Phil's oh, videos the other okay, day. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> Phil, Phil was playing a uh, Yodaro standstill deck, and somebody just commented, why don't you play Intuition? And I looked at the screenshot of his list for a while, trying to figure out why you would play Intuition. There was no accumulated knowledge. There was nothing. Like, there was no, like, Hall of Heliod to go off with shark typhoons in the graveyard like there was no reason at all to put intuition in the stack and then i messaged phil about it i was like let's talk about this in the episode and like had the person i I think what happened was phil was like why would you and then they were like oh whoops i read a card wrong but like it this is like the the high school math right like if you show your work i could give you some credit (laughs) like if you just don't know what yodaro does and create this uh, argument in favor of intuition based on what Yudaro doesn't do. I could just say like, oh, you've misread Yudaro rather than being like, what the hell are you talking about? Where did this come from? Like, this is not a coherent thought at all.
2: So, Brian, I actually agree with you quite a bit. Um, A question that I tend to get a lot is like, have you tried X? Like the Twiddlestorm deck, have you tried Reach Through mists?" and i say yes and then i explain why it's not in the list um but it's not like you should be playing this it's just have you tried so how would is there a better way of suggesting those sort of questions
1: i think that's the exact same question like why don't you play faithless looting is the same question as have you tried faithless looting to me uh like tell me why i should play reach through miss like that that's just a cantrip right
2: yep <laughs> But you can splice onto it. That's the reason why people say it.
1: Okay, so that is a, a point. Like, if you have, like, a Desperate Ritual in the deck, which can splice onto Arcane, and someone's like, hey, you're already playing Desperate Ritual, maybe Reach Through Mist is better than Opt just for the possibility of uh, splicing rather than, you know, seeing an extra card half the time. Or, you know, whatever. Like, maybe you still disagree with the point they're making, but they've at least created and supported and argued for a point other than just like firing card names into the void
2: okay
0: also while we're giving our listeners tips uh just like spoilers for behind the scenes stuff a lot of times when we post something to youtube it's been recorded for a week or more so if you have a question about a specific game please try to give some context or a timestamp, because a lot of times i'll get questions like why didn't you cast fatal push and it's just like,
2: <laughs> there's two hours of video here, I don't man. respond to those. Like <laughs> I don't know. If you don't give me a timestamp, I'm just not going back. It's like, in, in match six, game one, after you drew this card. It's like, you did this much work, you could just add in the timestamp as well.
1: Yeah, so I think a comment like that, clearly they just don't know that timestamping is a thing. And uh, I think that a, a gentle, like, oh, a timestamp will help. It's a two-hour video. I can't find that spot. Uh, will help. But the ones that are like, why didn't you fatal push? is just like, (laughs) whoa. (laughs) You're not even close. But I I will make the same comment. I'll say, like, I need a timestamp to check it out. Happy to talk about it, though. Like, I just have a generic canned response for anything without a timestamp.
0: Alright, so, another one of these situations that I wanted to bring up was something really neat that I saw today on Twitter. Um, Lynn Chalice was playing a blue control deck ...that had Trinisphere in the sideboard.
2: Boo!
0: (laughs) Now, I know what you're thinking. Like, that's a deck that's going to have, like, Brainstorms and Ponders. WTF is, is, is a Trinisphere doing in there. And the response that they had was really neat. It was something along the lines of, I don't need to play much magic... ...as long as my opponent is playing less magic than I am.
2: Hell yeah. So you may not remember this, Phil... There was a bug deck. Um I ran Noble Hierarchs. It was after the Death Ray banning. It won a challenge. It had one Trinisphere in the sideboard of just like bug green sun zenith midrange. It had one Trinisphere and like two mind breaks. And the deck had a really that. bad combo matchup in game one. And then just stomped it in the post board games. Because if they ever draw their one of... Like are you supposed to board in artifact removal for this deck that's a bug midrange deck to kill their Trinisphere's? oh well okay so now let's say you're boarding in your artifact removal now can you answer their two of mind break trap like it just put you in this awkward spot and like that's just good sideboard but well, actually i should stop talking i don't want people to do this just don't do that <laughs> do not do that uh make my life easier i'm done
0: yeah but i i think this is really good situational card evaluation because like In a vacuum, Trenosphere is a card you play because it is good against blue decks. It's really good at slowing down these cantrip-based engines. But sometimes, like, you have a specific weakness that you need to tackle. Um, I I think this was a bug deck or a four-color deck, and it was just a little bit slow to get off the ground. And Trenosphere was something that could slow down the opposing deck or really put, you know, a nail in the coffin for a combo deck. And I I liked that from a theoretical perspective a lot.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, like uh, Thinking about that from the flip side, like, Trinosphere is frequently a card I don't counter, even if I can, when I'm playing like a big blue, lots of basic lands control deck. Because I can play through that, even though I don't like it. So the idea of shoring up your bad matchups with the, you know, they'll like it less than me logic, I- I'm actually a big fan of. I'm probably not going to put Trinisphere in Shark still anytime soon, but like, it's cool that someone is exploring that. Don't worry, Brian. I have Stony Silence, Null Rod, Deafening Silence, all that ready for you already. I don't need it, is my point. I hope you
2: enjoyed the O3 <laughs> I'm ready <bracket>. to go.
1: <laughs> I'll see you there.
0: <laughs> I think this is very similar logic to why like Gaddock Teague is in a Maverick deck, right? Like, the Gaddock Teague does some bad things to you, it shuts off your green sons. But if that sucker is in play against a deck where it's important, like it's shutting off a a Terminus, it's shutting off Tendrils or whatever, like it is doing far more damage to your opponent than to you.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Another contextual lesson I learned, uh, Phil was talking about uh, heuristics during jank decks. Uh, Teferi Vacation, uh, which is a a, a brew challenge I got a while ago on the channel. Uh, If you've Listen to this cast every week. You've heard about it, but basically it's uh, Lethal Vapors plus Teferi's, va- teferi's Protection. You cat, you activate Lethal Vapors 500 times, cast Teferi's Protection, your life total can't change, you have Shroud, you phase out until your next turn, and then you don't take another turn, and your opponent just decks, and they can't interact with you. That's the combo. So my first build had Living Wish in it, because I thought, like, oh, I can Wish for academy rector i can wish for uh i'm blanking on that the card the, kill, the white tower white, uh there or was a tower The the no the white white creature grand abolisher Yep. that yeah all right i can wish for my grand abolisher etc like it's just like four extra copies of my pieces but then in practice it turned out that i had a creature based combo deck all of the creatures were humans. Academy Rector, Veteran Explorer, and Grand Abolisher are all humans. I could just be playing four Cavern of Souls, ignoring counterspells, and jamming this combo. But instead, I have reduced my ability to play around counterspells by cutting down to one cavern. Like, I think I had a cavern I could wish for and one in the main. And it's like, I'm wishing for humans or wishing for caverns so I can play a human. When I could just be jamming the human onto the stack. And also, this opens up the deck to things like Flusterstorm, Spellpierce, Force Negation that are otherwise blank because I have Living Wish. So I'm slowing down my combo for a turn and making it more susceptible to different types of interaction. And maybe there's places for Living Wish. Uh, like the Enchantress deck I played had Living Wish in it and it was pretty good. Uh, but it was just terrible in Teferi Fairy Vacation, and I reworked the deck. I recorded it with it a second time a couple months later, and it was much, much better, uh, because I just realized what was important in the
2: context. Living Wish just keeps on losing homes. It used to be in uh, Black Green Depths. It got kicked out of its home. I've seen it used to be in back in the day in Alurin. You don't see that anymore. Living Wish is just homeless. That's what I'm trying to say here.
0: Yeah, it's real sad. I was on my way home from hanging out with my friend, and uh, when I pulled up to the intersection, I saw Living Wish standing there with a cardboard sign that said, We'll Fetch Cards for Money. And no one was going up and giving Living Wish anything.
1: Yeah, we'll reach into your sideboard for food. (laughs) Bummer. Yeah, that's tough. Uh, Yeah, so also tough on Living Wish. Um, When Ely won that Eternal Extravaganza with Living Wish Depths, like, four or five years ago whenever that happened it was like a breakout tournament for depths it was a breakout tournament for the living wish technology i bought every single one that i could at like three bucks and i because it, it was in like that crazy era where like any card that does well in legacy just spikes immediately you lost a bunch so of i money. bought all of them i bought all of them that night the card didn't budge for like three months like the list was published nothing happened i just held for three months i was like oh man that's weird. It hasn't gone off yet. I'll just wait. And then uh, Iconic Masters came out, which had a set card from every set in it. And there aren't many good cards in Judgment. And guess which one they pre- reprinted? It was Living Wish. So it also got reprinted. So I, I still have like uh, 40 Living Wishes or something in my, my Magic Collection. They're <laughs> probably going nowhere ever. Uh, I just have to hope that it becomes a Commander staple.
2: Would you say that they're not going on a vacation?
1: Uh, they're not. They they are homebound, they're homebodies. So I have one more thing I want to say before we move on, which on the to the the point of explain why the card should be in the deck, that should be a contextual explanation. Let me rehash to you all a real conversation I had recently. Uh A friend messaged me. Uh, This was not an internet rando. This is a a person I've known for probably 15 years. They messaged me and they were like, hey, why don't you play Archmage Charm in Sharkstill?" And I was like, what does it do for the deck? And he said, well, it can counter spells. If there's no spells to counter, you can draw two. And sometimes you get to steal a one drop. And I was like, you just read the card. Team.
2: I hate that so much. <laughs> you
1: you didn't answer my question. I know what the words on the card are. Like that, that, that's not the question. So don't do that. Like, Hey, why isn't cryptic command in this deck? Like, why would it be in the deck? Like the answer is not because it does two powerful blue things. <laughs> like, like, they, like tell me why I need a four drop instant in my deck. Don't tell me what cryptic command does. <laughs>
2: I like using yeah, the that's example not of metamorphose because it's like a real life thing that's happened to me where somebody was just like, why don't you play Metamorphose? It draws a card and filters for two. And I was like, yes, that is what the card does. Um, but sometimes like if you provide the explanation, and I think a lot of people uh, come from this from a modern perspective, Brian, where at least for we uh, where they're like I'm playing a 56 card deck because playing Uh, Mishra's Bobble is like playing a 56-card deck, and that is good. Like, you want less, air quotes, cards in your deck. Like, that is a strategy that a lot of, like, content creators talk about. Um, And Probe was, like, people often talked about Probe in the same manner. So people get this idea that if you just play less cards in your deck, it's free. Um, Which would have been a good way of trying to sell that to me, even if I disagreed with it.
0: Sounds like a lot of these people have never looked at an opening hand with, like, Manamorphos, Manamorphose, double bobble, no lands, and been like, is this a keep?
1: Yep. You don't know what this card does. You get a free uh, Tidings off of that. Just draw four. It's coming. Love Tidings. Yeah, Tidings is a powerful card. Uh, but, yeah, like, that that Manamorphose argument, why doesn't Grixis Control play four metamorphos 56-card deck. Why doesn't Elves play... For Manamorphos, 56 card deck. Like, there, it just... Yeah, I don't want to repeat what you just said, but there's a lot of gr- red decks and green decks that that card makes no sense in at all.
0: Yeah, I, I actually played a Legacy League with Manamorphos in it this week.
2: Making and nuances. it's
0: because it... Uh, uh, yes, the League <laughs> did not go well. Um, but Manamorphos did make sense there. I was playing a four-color Phoenix deck where it was very important to be able to cast three or four spells in a single turn to either get back Arc Light Phoenix or to flip Thing in the Ice. And Manomorphos made sense there to fix my questionable mana base and fuel the Phoenixes.
1: That's the perfect home for that. Like, the in argument, like, you need to cast three cards in a turn. This is a free... Like, not just filter your mana draw card, but counts towards Phoenix. Like, that's the type of thing that you should say. Like, all right. Yeah, I I think this horse is dead.
0: All right. So let's give some, like, really good examples of this contextual relevance. So, Brian, I think you wanted to start with Wasteland and Ninjas.
1: Yeah, like, we started off this episode with a conversation about Ninjas, and this was uh, a comment I got on my Ninjas video, and the comment was, why don't you play Wasteland? And like we talked about earlier, the ninja's deck is built to put an attacker into play on turn one and to ninja on turn two. Uh, We talked about why you're playing two or three basic swamps in your day's deck. It's to not get wastelanded because you can't get set back one of those early lands. And what are you doing with that wasteland in your deck? Like if your opponent goes like tropical island pass, are you just firing off wasteland? Or like, that it just doesn't do anything the deck needs. And like decks that play Wasteland, they're trying to constrict resources of the opponent. Ninjas is trying to overwhelm the resources of the opponent. Like the game plan is every turn connect, every turn draw some number of extra cards, every turn answer what they do with a counter spell or a removal spell or just ignore it and then draw more cards. I want to use my land drop after my Yuriko connects to play a Swamp and a Changeling Outcast so I get two cards next turn. I don't want to waste you and just hope that my 1 3 is good enough. Because af- after Yuriko ninjas in, she's a 1 3. Like, everything blocks her, most things kill her. So, like, you do need to keep moving forward on your resources. Like, you don't just get to Wasteland your opponent and go to town with Yuriko. Uh, like, even like Dreadhorde Arcanist, like, If that was getting blocked, you still get your card. Yuriko's got to connect. So just Wasteland is not what that deck wants on any axis. Brian, I
2: want to pause you for a second. So this goes back to something that you said earlier. Ninjas is not a Delver deck. Delver decks can abuse Wasteland for many of the reasons that you just said. Like Ninjas is trying to accomplish something else. We talked about this a little bit a while ago. That if, hypothetically, if Delver were ever banned, the archetype of tempo does not disappear. Ninjas is a tempo deck. They are in the same archetype, even though they are different decks. Ninjas is trying to accomplish something very different. And a lot of people see the similarities of both tempo decks. Wasteland should be good in both. And that's just not true um, for a lot of the reasons that you just described.
0: On a slightly different, but also similar note, the green-black rock list that I played also had four wastelands in it when it was originally submitted and the very first thing i did when i saw that deck was pull out the four wastelands because this is a deck that wants like green black on turn two and black black on turn two and a bunch of green mana to be activating scavenging ooze and sometimes you want like green black black so you can do two spells in one turn on turn three and the wastelands would have prevented me from playing my own cards way too much of the time to be worth like their other upsides
2: delver has wasteland because it always has cards like days as i said earlier days isn't always in ninjas; it can be but on top of that delver has stifle it has spell pierce. like there are other effects that help punish the you don't have mana claws where ninjas doesn't have that like Brian said they're on force of negations. They're on force of will. They're not trying to beat you using soft counters. They're trying to overwhelm you. So not having wasteland makes perfect sense to me.
1: And a lot of ninjas games like. It's not rare that you start just grinding with retrofit or foundry. Like I've made two servos in my opponent's end step a number of times, and that's a seven mana play. Like two mana, make a servo, three mana, untap it, two mana, make a servo. And that becomes the mid to end game plan in a lot of ninja matchups. Like if they can blunt your early card advantage, like you have to leverage all those cards you drew into something. And like if the game goes into retrofit or foundry time, you firing off a wasteland at some point in that long game is not going to matter
0: also the only reason you're able to do that is because you're sitting on like literally seven basic lands that didn't get destroyed at some point in the game
1: (laughs) right phil remember our uh our week where we both got asked to play red black pox by people oh god
0: i had forgotten
1: yeah i had forgotten too until this wasteland conversation came up and uh you talked about rock so uh there there was a, like, three-week period where I got asked to play Pox, Lone Pox, Red Pox, and I think something else. I think I got, like, four Pox decks in, in three weeks, and Phil also got asked to play Red Pox. And that's a deck that's trying to play Croxa. That's a black, black, red, red card in a deck with, like, 23 lands and four of them are Wasteland. And it doesn't work. You can't do it. <laughs> and, uh, like ninjas and rock are are similar things like they have colored mana that they want to spend
2: all right so i'll go over one of my points right now uh a comment that i received was on a solidarity video that i published uh last week which is why don't you play snap well like brian said if the person had framed this uh on their own maybe they would have realized like you could put snapcaster mage into your deck and then add in the card snap but this does two things one You need a target for Snap. What if your opponent's not playing creatures? You just just added a dead card into your deck. You don't play very many creatures yourself. If you add in Snapcaster, sure, you can flash something back with Snapcaster. That's great. But you're also opening yourself up to creature removal. Because even if they do have a target and you snap it, you don't have any creatures to target most of the time. They're going to have dead removal in their hand. So they're going to kill their own creature and fizzle your spell. Now you've invested mana into something that doesn't do anything at all. And when you think about it that way, yeah, Snap seems pretty unreliable, but still maybe fine. Um, but, like, th- think of it like uh, Brian said. You want to think of the f- – oh, no, Brian hasn't said this yet. I'm not going to go there. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I read the show notes too early. Uh, but you don't want to always assume best-case scenario is pretty much what I'm trying to say here. And. You really want to just think about how it's going to play out on average. And on average is that your opponent's going to have dead removal and your spell's going to fizzle. Another comment on that video was, you should really be playing Ponder. Well, solidarity is an instant speed deck. And that was the first comment I left back. It was pretty constructive. It was longer than that, but that was the main point. And their response was, well, you can still use Ponder to set up. Technically true you could use ponder in the early game but what happens when you cast meditate on your opponent's turn and you're attempting to win the game let's say you draw ponder ponder two lands this looks pretty embarrassing right like you want to think about how things are gonna you know play out on average like that's gonna make you lose the game on the spot most likely so you really want to put thought into all of these things and think about how cards synergize which is another big part of deck building um yeah
1: Uh, another comment, this was actually a, a back and forth. We had a bit of a conversation about it. Um, I played, it was a Rugged delver League that I played and I played against Eldrazi in the league and somebody commented that they were surprised I boarded out Force of Negation because of Chalice. And so for starters, um, like level like zero of this interaction is they think Chalice is GG. Like, they think that if Chalice resolves, the game ends, which is not entirely true. It just sucks. And then on top of that, so first of all, Force of Negation has to be in your opening hand. Because a mid-game Chalice is too late. You're already crunching with Dalgry, you don't care. That that can resolve. So the Force has to be in your opener. It's going to cost you a blue card. And they have, to, they have to have Chalice in their opener for you to pay off. So are you going to keep a 7 with Force of Negation on the draw that is a dead card? Like, you've mauled a 6 against, like, some percentage of Eldrazi hands, just in case they draw Chalice. So, like, already this is Flood. And then I mapped out what I actually did with the sideboard, where post-board, I still had my 4 Force of Wills and my 1 main deck Brazen Borrower in the deck. That's 5 answers to Chalice already. I boarded in a second Brazen Borrower. I also boarded in Ancient Grudge and a Braid. So now I have four clean one-for-one answers. Ancient Grudge and Brazen Borrower are actually two-for-one answers. So I have three two-for-one answers and a one-for-one answer plus my four forces. I have more answers to Chalice and they're better answers to Chalice than I had in game one. And even all of that, assuming all of that, the deck still plays... They still have to have Chalice. Even if I miss on all of that, they still have to have the Chalice, they have to follow it up, and they have to beat Tarmogoyf and Uro, which are cards in the deck that can play through Chalice. So, like, on the surface, like, yeah, Chalice is scary, but you don't need every single answer that your deck could possibly have in it to answer a scary card. Like, there is a point where it's enough.
0: Another thing here is you're still assuming that the Chalice of the Void is in your opponent's deck. And I know from my perspective, a lot of times when I'm playing sort of a prisony or, like, very heavy stompy deck, if I'm playing against Delver, a lot of times I board out those lock pieces in an attempt to try to make some of my opponent's cards that they're bringing in dead. And so I try to bring in, like, removal and things that kill their creature and board out a lot of my lock pieces. Because I think people really zero in on the lock pieces, not realizing, like, Hey, that four-four thought not here. That might be the real problem here.
1: Yep, force and negation uh, is one or two slots in the deck that answer four slots in their deck, and it answers it poorly. And they might not even have it. Like if, like Phil said, if it's even in the deck, they might not have it in their opener. Like, Eldrazi's not a deck that can, like, multiply to five looking for Chalice against Elver. Like, that that's not the plan. It just has to be naturally in the seven. They have to be able to turn one it, which requires Ancient Tomb or bad tempo by leading on City of Traitors. Like, Eldrazi, Temple, Eye of Ugin, those are only soul lands for creatures. So, like, they have to have Ancient Tomb and... or a Spirit Guide. Ancient Tomb or a Spirit Guide to get that thing into play. And, like, there's just a lot that has to go right for them to threaten this card in a meaningful way and you have both better and more answers than that particular one another comment i got um somebody in my elves video just a uh, trusty old combo elves somebody s- recommended shaving green sun zenith versus I-, I think i played against hogak maybe dredge like it was it was some fast graveyard deck and they were like you should s- shave green suns or you could sh- save shave green sun Zenith post board because it just like makes your things cost more you might not have time for that and my response was green sun Zenith is the definition of card quality and if this game's only going to go two or three turns I want to make sure all my cards are the best ones I can have like I'll cut elvish visionary before I start shaving green Sun Zenith in a fast combo deck uh, like you, you don't i'm not gonna need to do the wirewood symbiote thing and grind extra cards out turn over turn like i just if i'm going to spend two mana i would prefer it to get nettle sentinel or get heritage druid not draw a random card off the top of my deck so they were kind of on the right path they just found the wrong answer
0: yeah and that's fine um a lot of times the answer isn't clear cut and sometimes there isn't one answer sometimes it's how am i going to play this game how am i going to approach this game and then sometimes that also leads into like how contextually card how contextually good the card actually is.
1: Right. And on that topic, since we're talking about elves anyway, I used to play elves exclusively, like, eight, ten years ago, and I used to message Julian Nab, because he was like I, I don't even know if he had his website at the time or anything. I just knew he was winning all the uh bizarre mocks in and uh MKM tournaments over there in Europe, and I would message him, because the Elves' sideboard and Miracles' top Miracles was the big deck at the time, and the Elves' sideboard could do two things against that deck. One of them was leave in your natural orders and bring in all your discard so you can clear the way on a turn you want to go off, or you could just cut your natural orders and play fair and don't give them any great targets for a counterspell. And this the same 75 was capable of executing both those plans pretty well but you can't really split the difference so like julie and i spent uh quite a bit of uh facebook messaging back and forth uh bouncing those plans off each other and i don't think we ever came to a a final answer like it it could just be a juke like you do one in game 2 and one in game 3 so uh it's like the the context can shift in the match
2: so for those of you unaware, our very own Phil Gallagher joined the EpicStorm.com for an article last week. And in the article, Phil talked about the Epic Storm versus Death and Taxes matchup. In the article, Phil said that Thoughtseize is one of the scariest cards out of a Storm combo deck uh, to face. Primarily because they get to pick off something without much of a mana investment, they don't have to spend the time answering, etc., I happened to play a video with Ad Nauseam Tendrils this week, and one of the comments on it was, this deck has four thoughts It must be better against Death and Taxes than TES. Sure, that is a perspective you're allowed to have, uh, and I'm not here to like be like, ah, TES is better. Uh, not, that's not it at all. Just because a card is good versus a deck doesn't mean that decks with that card are better than other decks with similar effects uh just because uh a certain matchup has a card doesn't mean it's necessarily better than i'm I'm like losing my words here but
0: here let me let me do it okay so in tes the tes player casts a thought that punches the hole and they go in ant the ant player casts a thought they spend their next turn cantripping and then they might go and that difference of a turn cycle is so huge because that's more time to go and draw the outs. So even though those are the same cards in the same macro archetype, the reality of the situation is the, the overall speed of the deck means that the thought sees from Ant is different from the thought sees in TES.
2: Yes, but also like TES has Burning Wish for Massacre, so it's like weird to compare it's like almost apples and oranges because the decks play out differently. Just because one, like, I don't know if you're aware of this, Phil, and I came up in the feedback for the article, but, like, the Epic Storm doesn't have main deck Thoughtseize anymore. Um, so, that was one of the reasons that this individual drew that conclusion. But, like, they just weren't also accounting for Burning Wisher Massacre. So, like, the decks are pretty different at this point, and just coming to this clear conclusion that Thoughtseize means it must be better was really strange to me, which is why I added it into the show notes. So, it's just important to think about all the variables in a matchup instead of just one. Uh, Otherwise, you might go into matches like Delver thinking that Force negation is good against Eldrazi. If you think of the big picture, maybe it will become, you know, a little bit more clear.
1: All right. So this is something that uh, I feel like a lot of new players don't think about at all. And slightly smarter players or more experienced players think about it too much. And then there's a sweet spot in between. Uh, that doesn't actually match up with either of those other things and that's what fetch lands to put in your deck and I'm talking about like if your mana base is mono blue like let's just say you're rug delver and they're all just uh blue touching dual lands and anything that fetches blue will get them so i i'll I'll say this doesn't matter much like uh new players are closer than uh than experienced players when it comes to which side you should be on like if you just own four misty rainforest four scalding tarn and those are the cards in your collection to play them you'll be fine uh don't go buy polluted deltas just because i said this uh but there are times where it could matter so uh four and four uh, let's assume your deck has eight fetch lanes in it like four and four of just the ones that match your cards like sure that's fine uh, the next level above that is play like uh, two copies of four different ones that lets you play around Sorcerer's Byglass or Pithing Needle a little bit. Um, then we're we're talking about like, if you're a three color deck, there will be an off blue duel that fetches your blue duels, like the old Wooded Foothills Stifle You trick. Uh, and because Wooded Foothills can get Volcanic Island or a Tropical Island and... Those are tend to be played in Stifle decks, so rug delver leading on Wooded Foothills. That used to be a trick that works back when Zoo was a deck in the format, but it hasn't been for close to a decade. Everyone on the Earth who's played Legacy more than once is going to see your Wooded Foothills and play around Stifle. So maybe now there's a second level to that where if I don't want them to sus- suspect Stifle, I won't play Wooded Foothills. So now we're, we're getting rid of Wooded Foothills on that.
2: And then flooded strand is There's, a really good one for uh, what Brian is trying to describe right now because I will fetch in a flooded strand right. all
1: the time yes I, that's exactly what I was just gonna say if you want to hide your stifle behind a fetch land hide it behind flooded strand or polluted Delta but flooded strand is definitely the best one because flooded strand decks they need four of that card they're playing prismatic Vista on top of that because they need to get their basic planes and those decks are definitely not playing stifle so there there is like some leveling there. And then, if you're playing Bug, which uh, is a deck that—I uh, mean, with there m- there might be basics in it now, depending on how it's built, uh, or or Rug, like Bug Rug, some Delver deck. If you have pinning Needle in your sideboard, you probably don't want to play Flooded Strand because against the blue-white decks, Needling Flooded Strand is a reasonable play, and you don't want to cut off any of your own Fetch lands. So, you should probably just be playing the ones that match your colors if you specifically play Pithing Needle or Sorcerer's Spyglass in your sideboard. So, there become these like tiny little push and pull of what the correct spread of fetch lands actually is.
2: That was good. I like that. Yeah. I have a few more. Um, so, Chalice of the Void and Force of Vigor. It came up in a comment recently. I was playing a video where. Uh, i'm playing the epic storm my game one my opponent is on uh mono green cloud posts with chalices in the main game one they go ancient tomb chalice for one and i eventually lose that game we're now in game three and i have a turn two peer into the, the abyss hand i choose not to play out my artifacts in game two we saw force of vigor someone leaves a comment saying why didn't you play out your artifacts completely reasonable question they might be genuinely curious i don't mind answering this well the thing is game one we saw our opponent was more likely to challenge for one than for zero which is like you should be using past information to help you make informed judgments for current like i understand it can change like our opponents on the draw maybe they'll play it for zero um like these things do change but you know that they have a preference for playing it on one we saw force of vigor in game two which is a card that we now have to think about if i play it out on one I can get hurt by force of vigor but also think about your deck's construction i brought in four answers for chalice of the void so if i play out my two my pair of lion's eye diamonds and they get destroyed by force of vigor i'm just down two lion's eye diamond if they play out a chalice on zero i have four answers in my deck plus burning wish for pulverize to answer this permanent and i'm not down anything so to me at the time i didn't verbalize all this in my video but it seemed like a free play to just hold those in my hand and Maybe that's something I could have done to improve my video, but these are the reasons why I'm just giving some clues, I guess, to why you would do this. Like that wasn't a bad question by any means, but in that match, if you looked at that match as a story, it made perfect sense.
1: Yep. That makes perfect sense to me.
2: Um, And then this last one's a vintage one, trying to fit a little bit more vintage content in here. We're eternal. Uh, Why don't you play time walk? That was just a question on my video. Uh, if you looked at my deck, there were literal zero creatures in my deck, zero planeswalkers. Uh, what is that time walk doing? We've talked about this. If Exploring. Exactly. It doesn't do anything. Uh, so like Brian said, in the very beginning of this episode, like think about how things interact in your deck. What do you gain by doing this? That's something I say a lot in tutoring sessions. Like someone will say, I'm going to play out my Lotus Petal here. And I say, what do you gain by casting that? What do you gain by putting time walk in your deck without any planeswalkers or creatures? Like you're playing extra land in your deck with 13 lands. Um, so just keep that sort of stuff in your mind, just because like there are rules doesn't mean that you have to follow them. Like once you get to a certain level in magic, you should start questioning rules. It's a great way of leveling up.
1: Yeah. I think I've mentioned this before, but uh, the, the year I won vintage champs, Matt Sperling also top aided that tournament. He was playing rug Xerox and he bucked, basically all of the rules the quote-unquote rules of building uh rug xerox um he had zero fluster storm in his deck stock was two he didn't play gush at all uh he was playing spell pierces uh he had uh like sideboards had there was like some two mana card it might have been ancient grudge he replaced it with nature's claim just a bunch of little adjustments where like and he ended up top aiding that tournament because shops was the deck of the tournament. Spell Pierce phenomenal against shops. Flusterstorm literally dead. Nature's claim does the same thing as ancient Grudge, but shaves a mana off the cost, which is frequently everything against shops. like getting under their sphere is a turn earlier. Big deal. Gush is not a card that is remotely castable when your opponent has two spheres in play. like you pay two mana and pick up two lands to go deeper under the sphere. So Matt just did all these smart but controversial, never seen before things and was heavily rewarded for it.
2: Speaking of shops, Brian, which I agree with you by the way, my last comment was, and thank you for teeing me up, I do appreciate it, is why don't you board in Python Needle versus shops? It seems like an innocent question. Um Like our we we lost the game where our opponent had crucible wasteland. Like Pithy Needle seems like a way of stopping Crucible Wasteland. That is technically true, and that's something that can happen in the matchup. But like Phil mentioned with this Ley Line of the Void uh, point earlier, just because your opponent has access to something doesn't mean that's what the matchup is about. Uh, They play one or two Crucibles. Some lists don't even play any. That person just happened to have them. Uh, but is that really what the matchup is about, or is it about stopping sphere resistance and all these other things that eventually bury you? Like, I don't think I actually lost to the Crucible Waste. I lost to the three strips and/or pl- the three spheres in play, stopping me from playing my spells. And then the Crucible Wasteland was just the nail in the coffin.
1: Right, and I I can safely assume you were on some sort of combo deck during this, because uh, that's your shit. Uh, and like, from a combo deck perspective of my goal here is to Hercules recall them in their end step, untap and kill them in one shot or or something, or just get in under the spheres, uh, set up a, a shattering spree to clear their board. Like, that's your plan. From a rug, Xerox perspective, maybe you do bring in that Pithing Needle, because that game is going to go long. Wasteland is going to come up, even if they only have two Crucibles in their deck. So, like... Again, context is everything. Like, I would totally bring in Needle against Shops in a Xerox deck that's trying to go long, but I would not in a combo deck that's just trying to end the game.
0: All right, so kind of rounding out this section where we're talking about the the contextual relevance of cards and how to evaluate these cards, um, a lot of times as people who are all playing donation deck lists right now, we run into the things that are just too cute for their own good. Um, and I thought we'd bring up a couple of those examples to round out this uh, section um, Brian, I assume this first one is yours
1: <laughs> it is um, I'm gonna add another one real quick in front of it to bounce off your donation deck uh, introduction there. Uh, I got a, a list sent to me a couple weeks ago it was for a uh, a toolbox like Fauna Shaman deck and that video's live it's been live but I once I actually looked at the list I had to message back the person who sent it to me and have a real talk about what we wanted to do with this thing. Because it was like a Fauna Shaman deck, but also trying to be a Soul Herder deck. And for a Soul Herder deck, it had very few ETB triggers in it. And it was four colors. Like the the Fauna Shaman toolbox, it was like a green-white maverick base. But Opposition, Agent, Soul Herder, and Hall Breacher were all in the toolbox. And I, I actually I just messaged them back. I was like... We, this can be a soul herder deck or a fauna deck it can't be both where do you want to go with this and like that that wasn't even cute it was ugly <laughs> so uh like some sometimes that's just the answer like this is not gonna work uh at a, a fundamental level but under that there is the too cute where it's like uh this is uh in my college play group there was a guy named tony and tony Just took any deck to make it cute. Uh, I I guess you could call him a, like, a Johnny or, like, a Timmy Johnny in the, like, player psychographics. Like, he would just take an established archetype, take out a bunch of good cards, and add some, like, cute engine to it and make it objectively worse. So I just always think of Tony when I see shit like this. And uh, I played Blue Black Fairies in Modern on the channel a couple weeks ago. I 5-0'd with it. The deck was phenomenal. And the the technology was fallen Shinobi, so fairies is pretty anemic in modern. Like the blue-black control shell is strong, but bitter blossoms not a viable win con in modern. But just putting three fallen Shinobis into your fairies deck, so like any bitter blossom token represents a five power mind's desire for two. Like that's a real threat. You get to turn the corner quick. It, it was really smart technology, and. Somebody, uh, I think this was a Reddit comment. They were like, this is cool. You should try Mirror Weave. Turning all of your fairies into Fallen Shinobi is even better than just having one. And like, I no offense to that person, but I didn't even respond. Like, so I have fixed, or not me, it's not my list, but the person who innovated this list figured out that adding a four mana flash threat to the deck is what it needed and you usually try to like discard and like maneuver to a point where you're sure it's going to connect and asking four mana out of a deck that otherwise plays at flash speed is a lot so where the hell am i getting four more mana to cast mirror weave and like if i'm going to spend four mana on anything why would it be something that gets blown out by path to exile and like or something that requires me to have two or three other creatures in play to even do anything like just that. That's the sort of thing where it's like, you're trying too hard. You're working too hard. You're like, and you have shot so hard at the target. You went straight through it and you hit the the wall behind it. Like we're not even on target anymore. This is crazy.
2: The too cute section. I also think it really depends on what the individual's priorities are. Um, because like I feel like a lot of these comments that Brian just described, they're from your local FNM heroes. They're the people that look come to FNM and they just want to do something sweet every Friday and win a few games. Uh, and they think that, hey, you're making content, I bet you want to do sweet things too. Which isn't always the case. Like, sometimes it is, but we also like winning.
1: Yeah, I mean, my my goal with the donation decks is to stay true to the vision. Which is why I messaged that person with their crazy toolbox deck of Do you want to be a Fauna and deck or a Soul Herder deck? I can't do both, and I I went with their vision when they made that choice. I didn't just scrap it and play Maverick. So like, being true to a vision is worth something, uh. But it, it's like, there there is a line to that, um. Like, uh, I I just released a video uh, today, actually, at the day of recording. It's a modern Dreadhorde Arcanist. It was just a Dreadhorde Arcanist tempo deck, uh, Jeskai colors. And at the end of the video, my my final thought was, if you want to do this sort of thing, just play Blue-Red Prowess. But obviously, the designer of that deck doesn't want to play Blue-Red Prowess. They want to play Jeskai tempo. They want to play Lightning Helix. They want to play Teferi. Like, that's what they want to do. And you know, good for them. Go go at it. I hope I improved their list to a point where it's better. But I, I if I was trying to win the pro tour, I would just play blue red prowess. If I wanted to be in that design space. So we
2: moved this from the beginning of the episode to where I'm going to talk about it right now. But a lot of this comes tr- to you need to be honest with yourself and what your goals are. Uh, so sometimes I'll get feedback on a video where I did one recently that was a modern storm video, and I'm sure Brian remembers this. Uh, just a few years ago people used to run one snow-covered island so that way they could gifts and given for snow-covered island island siobhan reef and steam vents and it was really cute you like you could just get four lands whatever that's still a holdover a lot of people have even though nowadays people are playing the blue red sacrifice land and there's the blue red flip land they still run the one snow-covered island In this video, I talked about the negative consequence of if you draw snow-covered island, island that somebody might pick up on that you're on storm. And the person responded that it was free. And I mentioned that you have four lines you can gifts for now. And the response was just like, I like it. It makes me feel good, which is fine. If, like, you're just looking to feel good, that's terrific. And I'm not trying to make this person feel bad by mentioning it, but you need to be honest with yourself if you're playing it to be competitive or if you're playing it because you like to have fun like there's a line in the sand somewhere
1: right and those are not mutually exclusive uh like it is like the the percentage of like my opponent going like basic island snow island and modern and me being like they're on storm versus like i I don't know like your opponent ends up having that like three drop that still lands come into play tapped (laughs) or something like i i don't know like it's all small and if it makes you feel good to have a snow island in your deck whatever like one of my my good friends Carl he he tries to mismatch every art that he can like he has four different himditarox four different Tarmagoists, four different delvers even has like three different underground seas like obviously the art's the same but he has like an fbb and unlimited and a revised and it's just like whatever man like you are giving up information if your opponent like thought seizes you and they see the revised underground sea then you play the fbb one later they have information that you didn't need to give them but you know if it makes you feel good
2: have that exactly it. and uh the last one was a, a deck suggestion of, which was like why don't you play locket of yesterday's over this and i mentioned that in the loop this is in the dredge storm deck that i posted that if you have bergy insolent neonate and a dredger Uh, you can make enough mana to win, but they're like, yeah, but if you had to lock into yesterday's, you don't even need an extra mana. It's like, yes, but if I have that combo, I don't need that mana anyway. Like, I will eventually get the two mana for the Pyretic Ritual, but they're like, yeah, but how sweet would lock to yesterday's be? It's like, if you want to do that, that's terrific. Like, you play your fun of. Like, that's going to be sweet for wherever you decide to play it. But competitively, there's no reason to have that sort of effect in your deck.
1: Yeah, so uh, I told you about Tony already. There was another guy. He wasn't in my playgroup. He was a local. His name was Martin. He was probably in his early sixties when I was in college. Like he was an older guy, and uh, kind of a, a a weird recluse. And he only showed up to draft on Saturdays at one of the local stores. That's the only time anyone ever saw him. And there was this game where he had the store owner dead on board for just, like, probably seven or eight turns, and just refused to attack. Like, the the store owner was like, seriously, Martin, I'm dead. Just turn your creature sideways. You see that I have nothing. Like, my hand's empty, buddy. I'm at two. Like, what are you waiting for? And Martin was like, just wait, just wait, just wait. And he was, like, getting frustrated. And then eventually he drew his door to nothingness in his limited deck. And he had the blue, blue, green, green, white, white, red, red black, black to activate it. And he just really wanted to win with door to nothingness. And he gave his opponent probably between 10 and 12 extra turns <laughs> in the game to find this thing. But I mean, he had it locked up. It made him feel good. It was a low stakes draft at a local store. <laughs> like <laughs> what the fuck ever? I would never do that. I wouldn't have the garden in my deck, but I hope he told that story for the rest of his life. That, that made it sound like I assumed he's dead now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's certainly old if he's still alive.
2: That was a good story. I like that. So, Brian, can we skip to a note that you put that I really enjoy in here? What I, the, the simple way to
1: say this is to plan for the floor, not for the ceiling. So, it's easy. And, and this is Tony. This is my man, Tony. Just like... In his head, he lives in Christmas land and you can tell when you talk to him. He's always thinking of the ceiling. Like, Tony's thinking about what if I mirror weave my Fallen Shinobi when I have 12 Bitter Blossom tokens? I get to cast their whole deck and they die. It's like, dude, if you have 12 Bitter Blossom tokens, you've already won. You don't even need the Fallen Shinobi. Settle down. But, like, you're planning for this world where you just get to, like, crunch for 50 damage and cast 20 spells off their deck in LOL. But, I'm planning for the world where my hand has mirror weave in it instead of cryptic command and I lose <laughs> or like, you know that, or I just draw mirror weave instead of fatal push when I have three lands and no creatures in play, <laughs> you know, like you got to plan for the floor and not the ceiling. Um, during the, the day that opposition agent was previewed, uh, And Twitter was losing their damn minds about it. Uh, I posted, like, the floor of this card is frenzied tilling. The ceiling is GG. And PVDH commented, like, within minutes, like, the floor of this card is a 3-2 flash. And I was like, oh shit, he's so right. Like, even I got booty blinded by the exciting prospects of a card like Opposition Agent. Like, a lot of people were up in the penthouse of this the skyscraper. I was on the second floor, but there was a floor under it. And that floor was three, two flash, which turned out to be where opposition agent usually is. Like that card is not played. And it's because the floor is too low. A three, two flash is not a legacy card.
0: I, I've tried to make that card work. I've received so many donation deck lists that have it in it. And so frequently it's a card that I end up boarding out or leaving in the sideboard. Now, when it is good, my God, my God, it instantly wins the game, unquestionably. But when it's bad, like, you want anything else. Well, there's
2: another 3-2 flash from even the same set that Brian mentioned earlier doesn't even go into the tribal deck that it fits in. Because sometimes the floor on those effects just isn't good enough. Like, Holbreacher is a terrific card, but if the Merfolk deck isn't playing it, I think that is somewhat of a sign. Like, we're also seeing these, like, uh, Snow Day decks disappear, like, uh, post-ban the first week or so, you still saw a lot of people messing with Hull breacher days and doing? That's gone.
0: Yeah, ain't, ain't nobody got time for that. Like, people are are playing good cards now. Like, people are running around with, like, Bug Uro Yorian piles just trying to, like, outvalue everyone around. I don't want to be the person messing around with a two-card combo that doesn't literally win the
1: game. Yeah, one of my coaching clients, uh, uh he... He started playing magic when Uro was already a card. And I think I mentioned him before. And like, he just literally didn't know what to do in any format when Uro got banned because he had no frame of reference for a non Uro world. And we, he, he likes control. He likes like tempo. He likes doing cool things. So we brewed up Bant Hall Breacher with Four Days Undoing, Four Hall Breacher, Noble Hierarch. And over time, as he tested on his own and as we hashed it out in coaching, it, the noble hierarchs disappeared, the hull Breachers stayed, and then there was one day's undoing, just as something to dig for if you do find yourself ahead with a hull Breacher. and it it had the banger, it had the out, but it basically became banned flash from like old standard, just to fairy and a bunch of flash threats, and then one day's undoing for 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 the getches, uh. But but yeah, hallbreacher is not the insane monster that everyone thought it would be. It is not worth quitting legacy over i hope nobody actually did despite everyone saying they were going to um uh, outside of uh ursa echo uh, i don't really see a great home for hall Breacher i anymore. like the
2: idea that you know this person that's been living in the truman show this whole time like they're so unfamiliar with the rest of the world that like you get to sculpt them uh i just like that idea
1: yeah yeah it, it's actually even deeper than that uh he played magic in 1994 and then stopped just cold turkey not even like casual interest throughout the years like most people just straight up like i bought packs of unlimited off the shelf and then i showed up when ura was dominating every format and he had to catch up on everything and just being a like serious gamer He's like, yeah, I'm playing Legacy and Vintage already. I've been playing Magic three months. Like, I, I want to do everything. Let's go. And, like, uh, I mean, this person is, is, like, a former StarCraft and League of Legends pro. And so they have, like, serious gaming chops. So they, they have, like, the mind and the time to put in the work to to get good. And, uh, but, but yeah, I, I I have mentioned to this person, like, wow, you jumped right into the deep end. And I'm kind of impressed about it. So to wrap it up, uh, I just have one point on sideboarding that I want to talk about. Like, we've talked about contextual cards and, like, why you might sideboard one thing and another, but I want to focus that into uh, a, a a single thought, and that thought is that your sideboarded deck is a magic deck, and magic decks need a plan, um, like... If you don't map out your sideboard and you end up doing the thing like, oh, I'll uh, I'll shave a lightning bolt, I'll shave a ponder, I'll shave a, a, a whatever, like, would you present a magic deck with like three ponders for a game one? Uh, probably not. So like, unless you have a good reason to shave exactly ponder that you can articulate, you probably shouldn't just be picking random cards to make room for your sideboard cards. Like, you should have a plan that you want to execute. And your deck should make sense on paper. Uh, people spend a lot of time testing game ones and testing main decks. And sideboard theory gets forgotten. But you will play more sideboard games in a tournament than you will play game ones. Uh, you're guaranteed every match will be 50-50 at least, assuming the match is played and there's not like a judge-based action or anything. But you'll play a game one and a game two out in every single game, every single match. And then some amount of the time you'll get a game three. So over even a single tournament, you will skew more sideboarded games than pre-boarded games that you will play. So your sideboard plan, your sideboard theory needs to be as good or better than your main deck plan and your main deck theory. And that gets lost a lot. Sideboarding can't be an afterthought.
2: It is embarrassing how long that took me to realize like i was making content for the epicstorm.com and this is like early 2015 i was creating my first ever cyborg guide and i started talking to friends about how to board for matchups like it didn't like 2015 is when i learned like i should quit doing that approach that you just described i top at a gp doing that awful uh approach and i am so much better now than i was then and it's crazy to even think about that i did that for the first like i don't know 12 years i played magic that I was just doing this, like, skimming plan and getting by.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we all did that at some point. I, especially those of us who came up in the era before you could just buy a sideboard guide on Patreon. Uh, which you know, is a different problem. Like, you don't learn any of the skills. You just emulate the skills. Uh, and But I'm not going to get into sideboard guides. But, uh, like, I definitely did the shaving thing. Uh, like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I I think it was when I started testing with Rich Shea in probably like 2011, uh, where, and in Vintage, it is striking, where like Rich has those Vintage deck building skills where it's like, this is my blue deck. I want to beat Shops and I want to beat Dredge. My blue deck contains like, at the time, four Mental Missteps, like two Flusterstorm, three Red Blast. So I need to take out at least that many cards in every matchup And bring in at least that many cards in every matchup. So, like, I have to cut eight cards because they're dead against Shops and Dredge. I get 15 cards in my sideboard, so I need seven Dredge cards, seven Shops cards, and one that overlaps. And that's my sideboard plan. And obviously that's an incredibly stark sideboard map, but you should be able to do that. Like, you should be able to sit down, uh, if you're serious about winning the Grand Prix or whatever it is, you should be able to sit down before the event starts, before you're figuring out on the fly. Look at the metagame and say, like, these four cards are bad, so I need four good cards to bring in. Like, you, how many times have we just like copied a deck and then you're in the the round and it's like, all right, I have eight cards to bring in and three to take only out.
2: Only all the time,
1: <laughs> and it's like, or or even worse, the the inverse where it's like, I have eight cards that are bad and only three that are good to bring in.
2: Like, oh, that's, that's the kick in the teeth.
1: That. Yeah, that's the donation deck special. <laughs> so, like, somebody should be putting real thought into that. Like, the same way you agonize about, like, uh, what your mana base is going to be in the main deck, or, like, that 60th card, or, like, whether you're playing Sword of Fire and Ice or, uh, like, sort of uh, some other sort. <laughs> I don't know, it, it, as your third, like, Stoneforge Mystic target. That much agony and more should be put into mapping your sideboard, because you need to present a deck for every game.
2: To go back to a card we talked about previously, with the Epic Storm, I often leave in one to two copies of Veil of Summer against prison decks. And I get so many comments on videos being like, wow, your board's so bad, you're leaving in Veil of Summer. Well, Veil of Summer, fun fact, it doesn't care about the countering if it's blue or black. It just says your spells can't be countered. So if they...
1: Chalice on zero nerd. And
2: the floor of this card is that it imprints for a green for abrupt decay. Like it's not great, I'm willing to admit, but it has functionality in the matchup, which tells me that I can skate by without that extra card in the board that I might otherwise need to board in against non blue decks.
1: Yeah, that time we uh, we played months ago, I was watching TV and just like playing Modo with like a quarter of my brain. And I didn't recognize we were paired against each other. And I bottomed my backup, t- my second chalice on my Mulda 6 when I could have had one on 0 and 1 and said I just had one on 0. And you killed me that game with a veil and then deployed all your zeros. So I uh, still won the match because I had chalice in my deck. <laughs> and the epic storm loses to Jank as we earlier I think we should just determined. end this episode on this note. We're and starting that's, to get offensive. <laughs> that's the episode. And that I just wanted to sneak that in right for the end. So uh, this is the first heavy theory episode we've done in a while. I hope you all get your money's worth. Thanks for listening.